Hello, gorgeous. Welcome to She Talks E-Commerce, the podcast that gives real actionable advice and rare insights into some of the world's most beloved e-commerce brands. I'm your host, Lisa Jones, and over the last 14 years, I've built and scaled three multi-million dollar online brands, including Eco Originals, the world's greenest nappies and wipes brand. But I started exactly where you are now, In this podcast, we'll interview founders and industry experts to uncover the actual strategies they use to get where they are, and we share key takeaways that you can implement to sell more online. If you're currently feeling lonely, overwhelmed, and you know your brand can be destined for so much more, then this is the podcast for you. Let's jump in. Hello, my gorgeous friends, and welcome to the very first episode of She Talks E-Commerce. Now, every week I get a DM from women asking, Lisa, Lisa, we loved your podcast, E-Commerce Uncomplicated, and we want to know, are you bringing out more episodes? And the answer to that one, my loves, is that I have been super busy over here cooking up this new podcast called She Talks E-Commerce. Now, in my old podcast, I shared heaps of my biggest tips and tools and trainings and less on the interview side. And I want to share with you guys more than just me, more than just the things that I know to be true as trainings. And so this podcast is all about incredible women out there in the world sharing their stories with you, sharing their takeaways, their key learnings, the strategies they've used to grow their brands with a little dose of Lisa magic sprinkled all over the top. So I'm pretty sure you're going to agree this podcast is worth waiting for. So I thought the first episode of this podcast needs to be incredible. Now, I wanted to get a little under the hood of the Lisa Jones story, and I know no better way to do that than to invite one of my dearest friends, Anita Sarkar from Hero Packaging, or if you follow her on TikTok or Instagram, she has a raving group of women who adore her under her sell anything online. Now, she is an amazing woman and someone I absolutely look up to, so I asked her, come on over to the very first episode of She Talks E-Commerce and interview me. What would it be like if you guys got access to ask me anything you could ask me about the Lisa Jones story and the journey and the tears and the sweat and the pain and the ache and the awesomeness and the wins? And so I asked in the community, guys, what do you want to know about Lisa Jones that I don't normally share? A bunch of you asked really cool questions and there is stuff on this podcast that I have never shared anywhere else before. So I can't wait to dive into today's podcast, but before we do, one more thing. Every episode of this podcast series is going to have something new in it. I'm calling it Products That You Should Know About. Now, for the first couple of episodes, before you guys get a chance to send your products in for us to hold a woman's brand up and talk about what's amazing about what she's doing with that product, we are actually just handpicking a few of the product awards brands to talk about on these episodes ourselves. So make sure you jump into episode two and find out it might just be your product I'm talking about this week. Now, I can't wait to hear what you think about this podcast today, my loves. So what I would love you to do is slide into my DMs or screenshot the episode and share it on your socials and tag me and tell me what is the best thing you learned out of today's episode. I'm dying to know. So let's jump in.
Hey guys, I am Anita and I am the co-founder and CEO of Hero Packaging and also the owner and author of Sell Anything Online. And today I actually am so honored that I get to interview Lisa Jones. She is an incredible, incredible woman who I have admired for so many years. And I just feel completely honored to be asked to do this podcast for you. So welcome to your podcast. Oh, that's so exciting. Thank you so much. I'm so used to doing intros that it's such a pleasure to have someone else do the intro today. Let's get into some questions because I've got questions. I know that other people have questions and I put them all together and I just, I'm really excited to get into it. So the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that you are an absolute powerhouse. And if there's anything that anyone will say about you is that you do so many things at one time. You've started and run multiple million dollar businesses. You own a female first coaching platform and you have built an incredible community. And you also happen to be a mum. So I kind of want to understand you a little bit more. And I want you to take us back and tell us the story of how you became this hustler and this powerhouse of a woman. Do you know, it's so interesting because I don't know if I was actually born this way, or at least I don't recall maybe being this much of a hustler earlier in my life, but perhaps I always was. I remember at high school, I always felt older than everybody else. And I think there was always some part of me that I think I process things super quickly, like at a bit of a super speed rate. And I honestly have even been to a psychiatrist to get tested for ADHD because I think I take a lot on and I process a lot. And I guess I would call myself like a highly functioning human. And I, I don't have ADHD, although I suppose if I saw a different psychiatrist, I might get a clinical diagnosis. I just think that the faster I do things in life, the more I accelerate my own brain activity. And it just... <laughs> It's a self-perpetuating thing. The more I take on, the more I have to find the energy to do everything. And I think because my brain works so quickly and because I'm combined with being an incredible high achiever, Mm. I just don't go to bed until that's done. In fact, I wake up in the morning and I have the weirdest thing. I can have the deepest, most delicious sleep. I'm a pretty good sleeper. But I wake up usually around about 5 a.m., sometimes 4, occasionally 6. But let's go with 5. And The very first things that pop in my mind at 5am are the things I forgot from the day before. Like literally I'll wake up and within two minutes I'll be like, I didn't do that. I must check on that. And I think, wow, my brain didn't sleep either. It's been processing all night. So I don't know. That's a very long-winded way of answering your question with, I don't really know what's up with me, but I just think I am one of those weird people who just process stuff super quick. Are you anxious or do you get tired because your brain doesn't switch off even when you sleep? Yeah, totally. You've nailed it. Both of those things I suffer from. I've got a lot going on at the moment. And yesterday I walked around literally clutching my head for a big part of the day. Like it's like when I have to think sometimes and I'm tired, I literally hold my head because I'm like, it aches in there. So yes, I do suffer from a tired brain syndrome. And yes, I suffer from anxiety. I don't get so much tired in life, more just my brain hurts. And then I've publicly said before, I'm on an antidepressant for anxiety. I absolutely put my hand up and say that busy people who get into the habit of being perpetually busy often suffer from anxiety. I know a lot of women who are high achievers who secretly suffer, especially on holidays and weekends when things start to quieten down and there's not as much to do. My anxiety will go haywire because I'm like, but I have to be doing 50,000 things today. Yes, absolutely. And I think that a lot of business owners would kind of breathe deeply knowing that they're not alone in this because I think 
even for me for so many years, I thought I can do so many things. I can achieve this and achieve that. And when I started to actually do them, I felt a sense of anxiety and you don't just feel it in your head. I feel it in my gut as well. And it's a really crippling feeling because you know you can achieve, but you just have this sense of like, what if I can't get there? Or what if I can't do this? Or what if I don't do it? So it's really nice to know that I'm not alone in that. And so many people aren't alone in that. Uh, And anxiety is a horrible thing. You know, I often, I feel sorry for people who suffer from depression because it's focusing on the past, but anxiety is potentially more crippling because it's a fear of the future. And in my experience, all of the things that I've been fearful of in the last, you know, 14 years of running companies, none of them have ever come true. So it's like you waste all this time and energy being fearful about something that never actually eventuates. So yeah, it's very debilitating. And I know a lot of women, for example, the gorgeous Hannah Spilva from Lovely, who sold her flower brand last year, has very publicly shared how crippling her anxiety has been to the point where it has rendered her post-sale of her business. It's put her in bed, unable to get up during the day because she's been crippled by the anxiety. So I think it's a untalked about topic that we should talk about far more. Can you give me some of the tips that maybe you use to actually relieve yourself of that feeling when it does come? And how do you keep pushing forward even when you feel that way? Absolutely. The first thing is I use nature and exercise. That's probably my primary function. So when I'm feeling like that, if I've literally got two minutes before my next call, I'll go sit in the sunshine for a minute and listen to the birds and potentially even like feet on the ground or on the grass or something like that. If it's like a super quick moment, that's what I draw to. But if I can draw 20 or 30 minutes before the next thing, I go for a walk. So I love exercise, like the next person give me a Les Mills sculpt class and I'm happy. But the thing that actually makes me the most calm is walking. So I love to walk. I walk usually every day, at least once or twice. And I mean a fairly fast paced 20 to 30 minute walk if I can through nature. And I find that by allowing my brain to trawl right out and not just be focused on the thing I'm trying to fix right now, And the movement in my body, my anxiety almost always eases. Like it just drops away. I feel it's an expansion of my body. Doesn't always work. So the third tool I might sometimes work on is asking myself to go through the things right now that I'm grateful for. That's one aspect of it. So I'll literally sit there for 10 minutes and list out everything. Like I had a great chat with Anita today. The dogs looked at me and they gave me the most loving look and I'm so grateful to have them in my life. I had the most beautiful breakfast and how lucky am I that I have food on the table when many people in the world don't, right? So I focus on what I do have and then I debunk the things that I'm scared of. So for many of us in e-commerce in particular, I think money is a really big fear factor and running out of money in particular. It brings down to the most base security level for most women. And even if you might have a husband who, you know, in my case, I have a husband who has a job. It doesn't matter. It's not like anxiety and fear. It's not logical, right? So if I'm worried about paying my next bill run or if I've got a stock order or a wage bill and I think, what if I don't have enough money? Like I literally sit down and I say to myself, when, Lisa, when in your life have you never had enough money to pay a bill? Or when have you never been able to find a solution to paying that bill? And I can honestly say it's actually never happened. I mean, I'm public once. I was $400,000 in debt with my nappy brand. And rather than go bankrupt, we just went on a payment plan with all of our suppliers and we were able to pay them off within a period of time. And it was really like the wolf at the door never came. So I think anxiety is based on stuff that isn't even going to happen. So 
I actually, you just touched on this just now, but you did start a massive brand in eco-original nappies, right? You were the first, I believe, sustainable nappy brand in all of Australia. Is that correct? Not the first. There were people before us, but we were the most green, if you like. So we were the first nappy brand in the world to use compostable packaging. And that was a pretty long and expensive process. We were eight times more per packet than poly packaging, but I was resolute that uh, we were going to use a compostable film for our nappy packaging. So we were the first in the world to do that. And the ingredients that we put into our nappies were, again, more eco than anyone else in the world had done before. So yes, but I had a company before that as well that we were turning over about $3 million a year with, and I had 19 staff in that. And that's kind of where I made a lot of my mistakes. So through those couple of companies is where I've seen the wolves at the door. <laughs> wow. The bigger the revenue, the bigger the wolves at the door. <laughs> Totally. Oh, I totally feel that right now. (laughs) Have you always been a business owner? That's something I really have wanted to ask you. It's like, did you always dream about this? Is this something that like, okay, this is a goal I had and I've achieved it? Or did this just kind of fall into your lap? How did it go? No, it's very random, actually. No, I haven't. I only became a business owner when I was 29 and I my first three jobs at 14. So I had a whole world before I became an entrepreneur. And I was always a bit of a high achiever in anything that I did. I was the youngest flight center business manager ever at 19. I was running one of their city stores. I worked around the world in London, in New York, and in Dubai, and in Doha, and Qatar. And I went to university at the age of 23 to study to become a property valuer. And then I did my degree full-time at the same time as I worked full-time. And I then became not just qualified here in Australia as a commercial property valuer, but I went to live in the Middle East and I became qualified in the UK as a chartered surveyor as well, which meant a little bit like sitting a bath to be a lawyer, a similar kind of exam process and interview process to become a chartered surveyor. So that was my 20s. And then I got sacked from a job, actually. I... I got brought back from the Middle East by a pretty well-known international property company and it was like they bumped me up a few pay brackets to justify bringing me into Australia, which meant I had a role bigger than I was qualified for. And then a week before my six-month probation, they flicked me. And it was a horrible experience to go through because I'd been such a high achiever and I'd been on stages talking about topics and I was always circled out by bosses and promoted into places because I think I just am a bit of a high achiever. And, and it was actually, it was like a really good moment in my life to remind me that, you know, all things happen to all people. And so I, I literally got sacked. And that was the start of my entrepreneurial journey because about then I also met my ex-husband and he was like, come work with me to build this business. And I was like, I'd always kind of thought that would be a nice route to go down. And so that that's how I started. So no, I had like multiple careers before this. Wow. And so because you were a co-founder, did you actually start Eco Original Nappies or you said your ex-husband started it and helped build it? Right. So no, the first business that I left uh, the corporate career to work with him was actually called Sustainable Man. And that was the business we were doing about three mil a year. We actually had a solar heart dealership and we sold solar power and energy efficient pool pumps and a whole raft of, I guess, trades based product solutions for residential homes. So that's the business that I helped build alongside him as the co-founder. And then we had some pretty big unraveling with rebates and some pretty big decisions to make about how to move forward in a business where we didn't own the product. So it was quite clear I needed to have my own product that couldn't be dictated to by other parties, which of course is what happens when you're a reseller of other products. And that was the real start. It was a catalyst because I gave birth to my daughter, Maya at the same time. And we, as a, an eco family, if you like, with a sustainable business, we wanted to use eco nappies, but I was going to the Whole Foods stores and I was looking at buying 
you know, there was Natives and there was Maltex. There was a few brands that existed from Europe that were like $30 a packet. And I was like, this is insane. Are people actually paying this when you can go to Huggies for $11 a packet? So that's when the idea was born between my husband and I to create our own nappy brand. Now, I delusionally thought maybe six months and we could have a product to market. And it was two and a half years and about 150 grand before we had our prototype and had our first container land in Australia. It was a way bigger deal than I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Holy moly, that is a long time and a lot of money to spend before you know that there's going to be revenue in your pocket. That is a very difficult thing to do. I have always wanted to ask you this, and that is, what did you do to grow that business? Like, what are the strategies you used to get some brand awareness around it? Because you actually started to do sustainability stuff well before it was like super popular. You know, now I'm in the sustainability space, so I know how popular it is now. It's almost trending now, but you did it before that. So how did you get brand awareness and kind of a customer buy-in into something that was more expensive than other brands? 100%. Our goal from the start was never to be more expensive than Huggies. That was our benchmarks. So here in Australia, Huggies is our premium conventional nappy, if you like. So we didn't want to sit into the bottom end of the nappy category, but we were prepared to go head to head with conventional nappies in the premium end. So our goal from the start was always to avoid retailers or at least the big supermarket chains and actually go direct to customer. So First of all, I guess we decided on a model, which is a really important place to start when you're looking at an e-commerce brand is what's our method to market and how do we do it in a way that meets the demand with what they're prepared to pay for a product. So that was probably the first pillar, if you like, of what the brand was going to be born into. And then the second part of it was we needed to be truly eco, direct to customer, but at that Huggies price point. So they become kind of our three pillars, if you like. And we did that. Firstly, we recognized that we needed to meet our consumers or our customers where they were. And for us, 10 years ago, that was baby expos. They're perhaps not quite as valuable now as they were 10 years ago, but 10 years ago, they weren't just for education, but people actually actively purchased at baby expos. I think that, in my opinion, has shifted now to being a little bit more education mode. But 10 years ago, people went not just to educate, but also to purchase a lot of their first baby purchases. And we wanted to be there to sell the first carton of nappies to them for their first born babies that were still you know, in the pregnancy phase. So we did that by going to five baby expos without a finished product. It was a big risk. Fortunately, we still had our sustainable man business ticking over a couple of million years. So we were driving cash flow across to our new business from that. It's very difficult to invest as heavily in a new brand if you don't have an income stream continuing. Right. You have a finite amount of money to invest. But in our case, we simply, you know, detoured profits from one business and poured them into the other. And we visited five baby expos in the first year and about five in the second year. And The first year we were able to do what was even prior to Kickstarter really being a big thing where we we did literally raise capital by selling our nappies at 50% off at those baby expos. So we raised $100,000 cash in the first five baby expos and we had 32,000 email addresses from those five baby expos by offering a year's supply of nappies if you enter our competition. So in the very first couple of expos, we had handwritten entry forms that we then had to pay people to transcribe the handwritten entry forms into an Excel spreadsheet to upload into an email platform so that we could market to them. This was definitely 10 years ago. Now, of course, you use all these expo scanners. It's so much easier. Wow. But yeah, we by doing such a good giveaway on our stand, we became gravitational at expos. There was like 
let's call it 50 to 100 people hovering at our stand at any one time trying to enter the one-year supply of baby nappies. So therefore, they attracted more people trying to enter because they were like, what's going on there? There must be something happening. So we just went off in our first year. We sold a lot. We had samples of nappies to show people, but they couldn't physically get the product yet because just quietly, we didn't actually have the product finished. We were still running through our final sample stages and in some cases, people had to wait up to a year to get their baby nappies and we just changed their size by the time it arrived and most people were very understanding. So for us, that was also about testing the market. If we couldn't pre-sell nappies, even at 50% off, for the product that we were showing people, then we were dead in the water. But because we could sell them and because people were so keen to put their names in our database, not only did we launch with a database, but we were able to prove the concept and every conversation that we had to... I'm going to call 30,000 people over five baby expos. We were asking them, what color do you want it to be? How Mm -hmm. thick do you want it to be? Here's how much water we can put in it. Is that what you're expecting in a nappy? And what do you think of our packaging? Do you like our logos, right? So we did massive testing the market in that period and that was invaluable. So you can launch a Kickstarter and that's a great way of doing something, but you don't get the feedback in that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I guess this was a different way of approaching it. I love the thought of that customer co-creation. You actually didn't have the bulk product yet. So you were able to make changes based on their feedback. And then you can actually tell them once you launch it that actually we listened to your feedback and we created the first product based on what you said. That is so powerful. I remember doing that in my previous business and it helped me so much to stand out from the competition, especially because the competition was way bigger than who I was. And it's such a great tool. But you mentioned that you don't usually test the market with expos anymore. Do you think expos don't work anymore or is there a better way to test the market? Such an interesting conversation because I'm currently exhausted because I've run two expos in March for my brand. And do they work? I mean, yes, they definitely work. Do they work as well as they used to? I don't think so. I think they're a combination. It's the whole omni-channel marketing approach where Expos need to be a part of our channel, but we can't rely on them anymore as a sole form of marketing. Perhaps in the early days of Eco Originals, we did. And I think now we need to consider marketplaces as well. So if you're a product selling to, for example, we did Life in Style last month, which is a wholesale expo and Reed obviously sit in the same building at the same time. And I think that being at a wholesale or a trade expo is amazing as a brand, but it's only one of the ways you can reach new stockers. Mm-hmm. And you need to be on wholesale marketplaces and then you should consider potentially agents or distributors. There is definitely a need to be in, it. I call it 12 eggs in 12 baskets, which is tiring. Like, let's face it, you and I both know how tiring that is. Yeah. But I think it, the days of relying on any one channel, especially, and I know that TikTok is such a big place, Anita, that you are, you know, there's conversations happening in the media at the moment about If we go to war with China, will we have TikTok? Will it be banned in Australia? So I think relying on a single form of marketing in any channel is dangerous. And that's where we need to just be constantly reassessing as a brand owner. Am I in enough channels to be able to grow my brand right now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I hear a lot of time on these Facebook business group chats where it's like, hey, Instagram's algorithm has changed and now I'm not making any sales. And I keep thinking to myself, well, if you're only relying on Instagram and posting on Instagram to make you sales, you're not actually not doing enough in your business. You need to diversify because you can't rely on one thing. Same thing with Expos. I guess with Eco Original, you sold that business or you got rid of that business. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And like when business owners will know when the right time is to actually sell a business, what should they look out for? Yeah, I love this question because my answer is 
different depending on whether someone's asking me for advice or asking me for my story. My advice would be that there is a time and place within which a business has reached its potential for you, but there's still blue sky in it for a future business owner. And I think it's the same as considering to sell a property. You should never sell a property at the most it's ever going to be worth. I think you should always leave a little bit of fat in it for the next person who's going to buy it from you. And that's just how I approach life. There's an element of kindness in that. So I think when it comes to selling a business, the same thing can be said that if you've gotten as much from that business as you need to, and there's something in it for somebody else, some value that it can add to the next buyer, then that's probably a really good time to consider selling it. And of course, there are a million reasons why you might sell a brand. And in my case, I didn't actually want to sell my brand. I was married to the co-founder and then we went through a pretty nasty separation. (laughs) And at around about the same time, we actually got our first round of funding, which was from a private equity investor who has gone on to be the acquirer of the entire brand and who I'm so pumped to say has very much grown Eco Originals into a legacy brand for me now. The brand has absolutely driven its revenues much higher. It's got a much greater reach. They've overhauled and improved the product further. They've rebranded it. It looks amazing. If you're going to sell something, it would be really disheartening for the brand to collapse and disappear. Mm. For me, there's probably two really amazing things that have happened for me about building Eco Originals. One is obviously all the lessons that I learned along the way, the mistakes that I made, the hard lessons, the wins. They all gave me a very large amount of expertise in e-commerce that I obviously leverage off now to help my ladies. But the second thing is that the brand itself continues to avoid landfill for people all over Australia and New Zealand at the moment, and they're going into the US. And so the legacy that I left behind of a brand that is actually helping families, for example, I mean, this is so off topic, but did you know that nappy rash is actually not normal? Nappy rashes no. are formed because most conventional nappies wrap a plastic bag around your child's most private, intimate, wet areas that have heat producing in them. And nappy rashes formed, it's a little bit like, you know, when you put groceries that uh, have life in them, like vegetable scraps, for example, into a plastic shopping bag, mm. tie it off with no oxygen and put it in the rubbish bin, there'll be condensation that forms on the inside of that because life needs to breathe, right? So you wrap a conventional nappy around a child and the child forms nappy rash. So we automatically assume let's put a zinc cream on them, which is more chemicals, if you like, on a child's private areas. Yeah. In our Eco Originals nappies, nappy rash 98% of the time completely disappears within a week or two, like gone. The only time nappy rash really continues is when they're teething and it's an internal nappy rash. Now, I guess if I was to stop and smell the roses, which I don't do very often, I'm terrible at pausing to reflect on wins. But I would say that one of the biggest gifts I've given the world is the nappies that are stopping children from having nappy rash all over the world right now. And that can, that legacy continues because an amazing investor bought my brand and is continuing to grow it. So it's bittersweet. I'll admit I vomited in my throat for about a year after I had to leave that brand and I was pushed out by my ex-husband. So it was a bit ugly, but what do you do? I mean, everything that I've learned in life has taught me to become more compassionate and more empathic for other people. And I think that's the biggest gift of all. Hey, gorgeous. Have you noticed that your sales have been harder to come by this year than they were over the last couple of years? You're kind of standing around scratching your head, wondering what happened in e-commerce. Do we have a problem? And well, my answer to that is no, it's just become a market that is similar to pre-COVID times where you actually have to work at selling. So, I want to help you. 
I want to make you get there quicker by showing you the exact steps to how to sell in 2023. And we know this because we broke down a bunch of our clients that are still growing right now in the current market. And we came up with a proven six-step framework that is guaranteed to blow your sales up. Right now, we have opened the doors to our Academy program with this rebooted and supercharged version for 2023. And we have a couple of spots left that we are saving for you to come and join us in this program where we will double your sales in 12 weeks with doable, scalable strategies that will help you to grow your sales sustainably, but feel really good about it. So jump into the show notes to get the link to check out our Academy program and grab one of those last spots for you. But it's also led you right here, right? So you have done all of that and you've gone through that shit show that you went through, but it has led you here. And about a year ago, you started SheCom and it is one of the most engaged communities I have ever seen. And I was really lucky to be part of it last year when you did your first SheCom conference, which I think should be called She Conference. But I just think <laughs> it's like an incredible bringing together of 200, 300 women in a matter of a few months. I was in awe of you, can I just say. So I know you went through that time of like getting rid of the business and it's not yours anymore and seeing it thrive and you not being part of it. And I totally understand how you feel but you have come to create this community and I'm so proud of you for that. But I want to ask you about SheCom. When did you start it? Yeah, so I started coaching before I left Eco Originals. So I had about a year as the separation was happening where I wasn't as actively involved in Eco Originals and I'd really, the team in Eco Originals, I was the the operations end of the business and it was running itself basically. So I was looking around wondering what my next steps were. So this is probably four to five years ago now. So I started coaching on the side and I then have had a number of iterations. There there was the Biz Collective and that moved into Lisa Jones and Co, which has morphed into SheCom. So it's had a few versions or iterations, but really probably it's been about two years now that I've been really focusing heavily on supporting women in e-commerce, specifically only women in e-commerce. And One of the things that I'm really passionate about is women looking for flow, right? So when we put stuff out to the world, and I see this all the time with women with e-commerce brands, sometimes nothing happens. Now, it cannot happen for a couple of reasons. It could be that it's the wrong timing, the wrong product, the wrong marketing, or it could be that you've just created a product for yourself that doesn't appeal to anybody else. There could be a bunch of reasons, but I call that like a lack of flow. And one of the things I love to look for is where flow does show up. And at the moment, SheCom is in full-blown flow, right? We have women who are really happy to pay us money to support them in their journeys through retreats and programs and live events like you've mentioned, and even just being part of our community without spending money, but because they want to be part of something, which is a really big focus for us. It's not just about revenue making. It's also about deeply supporting our community because other people outside of women in e-commerce don't really get them, right? Our husbands, brothers, parents, families, extended girlfriend networks often have no idea what we do every day and look at us a little bit like we're aliens. Like, really? You work that hard and you don't even make a wage, right? We do this because we love what we do and we we want to be understood by other women in the same space. So I'm absolutely pumped with what's happening in SheCom at the moment, but I'm not, I guess, surprised because I, I've spent the last four years or so tweaking my marketing, changing my pitch, 
changing my brand naming and my brand look, changing even as as detailed as the style of photography we use to try and resonate with an audience. And when it worked, it wasn't really an accident, right? It was finding flow because I deliberately was looking for it. I love the thought of how intentional you are with everything that you do. I'm not easily impressed, right? Um, But I am so impressed with this. And like I said, you had hundreds of women there for the first time. And I think you organized it in nine weeks. You kind of touched on this, but what do you think makes SheCom so much more special to these women than all of these other things that are out there? There are thousands of conferences and expos and getting together of groups and masterminds. What is it specifically about SheCom that is so special? That's really easy for me to answer, actually. And I honestly, I honestly believe it's about being vulnerable and real. So I think there's a lot of social media, a lot of news in the world, a lot of friend networks where people like everybody else to think they're doing really well. One of the things that going through a pretty deep domestic violence marriage has taught me is kindness and empathy for others. But it's also taught me that sugarcoating or pretending to be something that I'm not doesn't serve me or the person that I'm talking to. What actually resonates and connects with others much more intimately and much quicker is actually just sharing exactly what's going on in my life. And that's how I've very much spoken to my community from the time that I started to really build Lisa Jones and Co. and then SheCom into, I guess, having a brand presence. It's always stood for me about the real story. And it's about encouraging them also to be real and vulnerable back. And a couple of really special things happens when you do this. The first is I have no trolling like zero, zero trolling. I I literally have never experienced hate or trolling wow. on any of my social media platforms in any form, like literally. And I like to think it's because I attract the right people, maybe, I'm not sure, but that's definitely been a positive silver lining. But I also, I think by being really vulnerable and open myself, I encourage those around me to also be really real and vulnerable. And that has allowed me to, like a magnet, attract the most incredible women like you, Anita, and like the speakers that we have hit the stage, like the coaches in our audience, like the team that I have around me. We have six full-time and 14 all together in the SheCom team already, and they're all incredible women. And I really feel like that is our secret sauce. That's our ingredient that makes us stand apart from everybody else is that we create a safe space for women to share what's actually happening because we say what's actually happening. And that feels like a sense of freedom for women, I feel. That's what I think our secret sauce is. I would love to know what you think it is. I think it's that you give more than you take and you are constantly giving. And this is a selfish thing as well. I love being around you, but it's every time I'm near you, it's you're always giving more than you expect from others. And I think you expect that same thing that your team does as well. And that's why they followed you from place to place, business to business. You give more to them than you take. And you expect that from them too, that they give to their community and to your community more than they expect to get back. And I think that's the secret sauce. Right. There we have two pretty special secret sources that yeah. just mentioned there as to why SheCom's pretty cool. I agree with you. It makes me really proud if I stop to think about it for a minute. You know, the legacy that I want to leave behind in this world and certainly raising daughters, and you would know this too. I think that we have a duty to our daughters to show them how to be the best versions of ourselves. That's one of the reasons that I had a gastric sleeve 18 months ago, because I had to show my daughter how to be the healthiest version of myself. This is why 
I show up to try and create my own wealth in the world and to build a community and to give back to others and to be charitable. They're all, I guess, elements of what I would like my daughter to see and look up to and to emulate as she grows into being an adult. And so I think if that can extend beyond my family into other families, then that's a bonus. But really, I do it for her and I, if I'm really honest. Of course you do. I want to talk a little bit about SheCom and what people can actually get out of it, because this is something as I'm, I consider myself to be a little bit of an introvert when it comes to networking, but SheCom is not just listening to presentations. It's actually networking and meeting other people. I want to know what tips you would give people if they are not comfortable to just walk up to someone and connect with them and say like, hey, where do you work? What do you do? Have you got a business? It's a really difficult thing for some people. So how can people connect with people at SheCom? Do you know, it's so interesting because I think that the imposter syndrome is real for everyone. And I will be the first to put my hand up as an extrovert and say that I get intimidated walking in a room full of people. So I think that an introvert is going to feel more so, but they're never alone. Like I know for a fact, before I run any event, I encourage DMs. I like to connect with my community and I get DMed by so many people who are like, Lisa, I'm coming to your event and I'm so shit scared. I'm in my hotel room, unable to leave because I've got anxiety that I'm not going to know anyone there. And I'm like, Uh, come down and hold my hand or talk to the lady next to you and tell them because they are going to be the same as you. Because one of my favorite sayings is I am you and you are me. Like if you think that we're all going to walk into that room and be able to be completely happy and own it. We're not. Everybody gets anxiety walking into a room full of new people, but I can guarantee them this thing, which is that you will leave with new friends. Every event I ever run, I hear afterwards that there are so many collaborations, new accountability pods, new friendships. In fact, I just ran a retreat to Bali like literally three weeks ago. And then last week I was on the Gold Coast And a couple of the women, I would say about five or six of the women that had been at my Bali retreat also live on the Gold Coast. And they all came to Retail Fest because they wanted to hang out with each other. And they all came to the stand to hang out with us because they so desperately wanted to connect again with that feeling of belonging to a group of women. So I would say that don't feel like you're alone. Know that the person next to you is probably as nervous as you are. Know that there's huge opportunity for growth by actually delving into a new space and finding your people. And then the upside and the silver lining is that you may just blow up your brand by meeting a new person that could help you with a collaboration or with that golden idea that you chat about with the way you're like, ah, that's the thing I'm missing. They can see it because I'm too close to my brand. But when I share my brand with them, they're like, oh, have you thought about doing this? And suddenly you're like, oh, that's what I need to do. So I would say, can you afford not to come to our events? Oh, totally. You know, so interesting. We just went to retail first and I was sitting down. It was the first day and I got into my seat and I knew nobody. I just sat there and a girl in front of me after about five minutes turned around and said, I'm so nervous to do this, but I really like your TikTok account. And we just got talking and it was, she actually got out of her comfort zone by turning around and saying that to me, not knowing how I was going to respond. We ended up walking the whole expo floor together, getting all the freebies and having such a laugh. And it was amazing. And now we've connected on all platforms and I consider her to be like a great business friend. So it's just incredible what you can do when you just turn around and say hello. It takes a few moments of bravery, right? And the upside is so much greater than just, yeah, I, I agree. I love those stories. You always have so much going on and you, I feel like you are 
so busy doing this and then you also have all these new ideas and then you're also progressing and doing other things. Can you just, how do you do that? And like, how do you juggle everything and then still think of new ideas and execute them? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. And I've definitely got a couple of shares I can have in this space. The first thing is that I take myself off on holidays at least twice a year. So I believe that as women, when we're on the mouse wheel and even though the idea is to get off the mouse wheel, we actually have to be on the mouse wheel sometimes because the way to get projects completed is to get projects completed. So sometimes it's a necessary evil to actually be working really hard for a period of time, but it's not sustainable. And in order to be able to refill our cups, I believe that at least twice a year, I need to be two weeks each time out of the office. So I have at least four weeks a year where I go to Bali or I go to a beach and I actually really deeply fill up my cup. So for me, that's, you know, massages every day, shopping, lying by the pool, kindling. As soon as I slow down that pace and I get excited about the space that I'm in, what happens is that my creativity and my imagination go gangbusters. Mm -hmm. Twice a year, I let myself become so creative that the next big ideas come out. So that that has to take place, but that can't take place when I'm at home on the mouse wheel. It's it's difficult to see off the mouse wheel what should be done next year when you're too busy worrying about today. So that's, that's one part of it. The second part of it is that it's actually not sustainable long-term to stay on the mouse wheel. And I know, Anita, that you and I are really wrecked right now. I absolutely am wrecked. And as a result of that, I have literally just made some pretty big life decisions in the last month that involve a big move to another state in Australia so that I can simplify my life. It also involves potentially stepping out of one of my businesses I currently have. And I have to sometimes make the hard decisions that mean that I'm going to be reassessing what's important to me right now so that I can show up as a mum, so that I can show up as a wife, so that I can look after myself. And right now I haven't been doing those three things very well. So Mm -hmm. I think that for a period of time, it's okay to be on the mouse wheel or to be juggling too many projects. But a really big part of that is a self-check every month or so of, am I happy right now? Am I thriving right now? And if I'm not thriving, what could I do to get some more thrive into my life and then actually executing those strategies by, by making some tough calls sometimes? That's absolutely it just, it has to be done. I know you've mentioned in the past that you outsource some things, like you have a housekeeper or a cleaner, for example. Is that a good way for you to manage it all as well? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't be building empires and cleaning my toilet. To me, that just, I just couldn't do it. So I've recognized that there are some things, for example, homework in the afternoon. I am a crap. I could never homeschool. I hate homework. I hated it at school and I hate it even more now because my child gets yeah naughty and distressed doing it and we end up squabbling. And so, you know, cleaning my toilet, sometimes cooking food, there are things that I know that I shouldn't be investing my time and energy into. So we have a live-in au pair at the moment. Um, Definitely I've had housekeepers in the past and cleaners often all at the same time. So house support and support with children so that when I'm actually with my daughter, even if it's just 30 minutes at night where I hop into her bed with her and we have heart-to-hearts where we stroke each other's faces and we look in each other's eyes and she shares with me about how she feels or what happened at school that day, that is so much more valuable for me than driving her to the bus every morning or making her school lunch or, you know, helping her with her homework. So I think outsourcing aspects of what you do 
And that even includes business tasks. I know I have six staff in my team internally that are full-time and they are all mega responsible for aspects of the operational running of my business because I can't be all over everything. I just can't. So I think we have to know that in order to build empires, we need a team around us. We need to be supported. Girls, you cannot do it on your own. You need your people who are going to hold you up, even if it's emotional support. I have four or five women when I'm having a day When I'm having a moment, either it might be a really great outfit I bought yesterday that I put on last night and thought, I fucking look hot. So I texted them photos and we bantered, or it could be I'm falling apart right now and I need a reality check about whether I'm overreacting to something. I have support for that too. We cannot do it alone. You have to have the people around you that you know are going to hold you up and help you achieve the goal that you are out to do. I completely agree. And I hear you on that because It's the same thing for what I do. I have a housekeeper and a cleaner and someone who mows the lawn. Even though I'm capable of doing those things, I hate doing those things. Right. The kids go to school, daycare. They've all gone to daycare from six months old because I know what fills my cup is to work in my business. Even when it's stressful, I love working in my business. And then I can be a really great mom from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. And I know that. And that's what I focus on. So I completely hear you. Outsourcing is everything. This interview would be not true to myself if I didn't ask you some e-com questions. So can we get into those a little bit? We can. Okay. If you were to start a new e-commerce business today, knowing what you know now, what would be your top three marketing tips? Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. So absolutely, it's harder to start an e-com brand now than it was five or 10 years ago. And I think that if I look back in the brands that I've interviewed that had sold and exited businesses, they were often early adopters or first to market. The really successful brands were. So I think that it's definitely not that easy to start and scale an e-commerce brand unless you do a couple of these things really well. So the first, as I've already mentioned, is omni-channel marketing. You cannot launch a business in one space like just TikTok or like just Instagram and expect that it's going to be an absolute run off your feet success because it's not The second is that you absolutely have to have incredible marketing. So if you're not really good at marketing or not prepared to put yourself outside your comfort zone to market a business, it's only ever going to get crickets because unfortunately, the really great marketers out there are going to cut your grass and take your space. Mm. And an example of that is, you know, any business that can have a really good product and a really good website and they're just not getting sales and the brand owner is often introverted or has a full-time job and just doesn't have the attention and time yes. to spend on it. So I think it's almost worth saying early on, unless you're prepared to become a good marketer, it's probably not for you to start an e-com brand. Right. And the ones that have been truly successful in e-commerce are the mad hustlers. And I know that you and I know how much hustling has to take place and how much hard work that is to get a brand off the ground. So you have to be prepared to be a hustler. Totally. And the other top tip that I have, I mean, I've got, I could sit here all day and share them, but a really big one is around your website. So a very underrated part of having an e-commerce brand or untalked about is that you don't have the benefit of sight, smell, touch, sound, taste when you sell a product. The only 
sensory item you have to work with people is their vision, right? What they see on your website. So if you walk into a bricks and mortar store, you're able to pick up a product. You can turn it over, look at it, taste it, maybe smell it, touch it. You know, there's a lot of sensory that you can work on to decide if you want to buy that product or not. You can try it on even, right? When you're on an e-commerce store, none of those things work, right? Maybe sound if you play a video, but mostly it is just your eyeballs deciding if it's trustworthy or not. And the thing that I see a lot of e-commerce brand owners get wrong, if you like, is they underestimate how important a good e-commerce website is. If you don't nail trust and proof and elevate your products with amazing photography Mm. and have a professional looking website that's been designed with hierarchy of fonts and color palettes in mind, then you're not going to be trustworthy enough for people to pull their credit card out and buy from you. And they are most definitely the three core areas that I see people underestimate e-commerce. That's awesome. Talking about a website, if you were to choose one brand as your brand crush, who would it be? I have a huge brand crush at the moment and it's on Baird Footwear, B-A-R-E-D. I have heard talking about them. Oh my God. So the story goes that literally in February we had a She Talks event and everyone in my team has teased me for a million years about wearing high heels because I don't do them. A long time ago I decided in the corporate world that high heels suck and I have had this kind of like I wear flats. And everyone's like, come on, girl, you've got pins now and you wear hot cocktail dresses you need to put some stilettos on. And I I find often when I try them on, I think I have a wide foot and I'm always like, but they're so uncomfortable. So I Googled comfortable stilettos and bed footwear came up and they're an Australian brand. I didn't really know them. I'd never heard of them before. So I ordered two pairs online. I do a bit of the website's incredible and their information was very supportive to make me pull out my credit card. So I ordered two different pairs, right? They arrive and within 10 minutes of them arriving, I get an email from them saying, hey, we saw you just picked up your parcel. Now we hope these shoes are amazeballs, but if they're not, here's what we can do. One, there's some extra parts inside that make them thinner or wider or whatever, right? Two, phone us and we will recommend other options for you if these don't feel amazing. Now, I got two pairs of stilettos. One I put on freaking awesome, the other one falling off my feet. So I pick up the phone and I ring and I say, I really wanted two options, a gold and a white. And they're like, no problems. How, you know, which ones fit, which ones didn't? Well, I'd maybe make the recommendation for these ones. Why don't I pop you two pairs in the mail today and you can try these two? No credit oh. card. This is, I'm talking $300 heels each per pair, two new pairs of heels in the mail to me. And they arrived 48 hours later. And then I simply posted back the pairs I didn't keep. So I kept two. Now I've since gone to their, they have three stores, Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. I went to their Melbourne store and I spent $800 on two pairs of boots, which I've just received in the mail last week. I bought them in store, tried them on incredible. Then I said to them, I'm flying home today and I don't have any luggage left. They're like, no worries. We've got your address in the system. They'll be at your house next week. So without even a conversation, they posted them to me and like four days later, they were at my house. Like their service, their e-commerce experience and their ability to understand and identify what my pain points are, which is comfortable quality shoes that are on brand. They were all over it. I adore them and I cannot wait to be a lifelong customer of theirs. That to me is like product, customer service, and logistics. 
Yes, uh, I think that is so incredible, especially when you mentioned the phone number. A, a lot of e-commerce brands, a lot of us founders go, well, it's an e-commerce brand. They can just email us or put in a form and write a little response to it. doesn't work like that. People, if you want a question answered and you're frustrated at a product, that can be solved super quickly and turned into a lifelong customer just by having a phone number. Totally. And I, I hear people at the moment talking about, you know, maybe the market's a bit softer. It's hard to get sales at the moment. And in my experience, I think they're really good brands at having record months. I think if you offer a really good quality product, I mean, these are three to $400 shoes per pair. This is not a low-end budget product, but I've just bought four pairs in the last six weeks from them. So I think that there are certainly businesses that are super successful right now, even in a time of slight economic instability, because what they're doing is so good and there is still a lot of money out there to be to be spent in brands that do what they do the best that they can. And that's where I think businesses have opportunities right now. Be best in practice, be best in market, be best in quality, be best in customer service, be best in email chains, and then people will love you and stay loyal and continue to spend with you. I agree. I think in this time when everyone is feeling a little bit of that pullback from customers, something that you can do that is actually quite free is customer service. The moment we implemented live chat, the moment we implemented a number to call, we got so many more conversions that day just because of that and someone was helping them through the process. And we were like, why didn't we do this three years ago? This is insane. I completely agree with you. So to end this, I actually have 10 quick fire questions for you. And I want you to tell me the first thing that comes into your head. Let's do it. Done. Okay, let's do it. Okay, first one, what is your biggest strength? Perseverance. What is your biggest weakness? Chocolate. What should be the first business task to outsource? Email marketing. Do you think influencers still work? No. Oh, who is your favorite business owner to follow? I'm really inspired by Christy from Modibody and what she's done and had her on the stage last year and she was one of the cleverest women I've ever met. She's incredible. I love that too. Do businesses still need paid ads to grow? Yes. If you could have anyone in the world, dead or alive, speak at the SheCom conference, who would it be? Anyone in the world. Michelle Obama. I was thinking the exact same person. Okay. Eighth question. Your favorite business tool? Slack. What is something you shouldn't waste your time or money on in business? Paid influencers. And a piece of advice to your 20-year-old self. You are so much more powerful than you realize, girlfriend. That's just amazing. I love you, Lisa. Thank you so much for answering my questions. I it love was you too, so Anita. nice to chat to you. It is such a pleasure to have you inside of our community. And I'm so honored that you were the one to interview me today for our very first podcast because I think you're a pretty rockin' chick. And I can't wait to get you back on the podcast as one of our interviews to hear more about your story soon because tell you what, we've got some pretty powerful women in this community. Totally. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of She Talks E-Commerce. If you loved this episode, be sure to click follow because the episode we have next week is one you won't want to miss. And if you're ready to work on your e-commerce business but aren't sure where to start, then use the links in the show notes to book your free strategy call with our coaching team today and let us help you to blow up your sales. 
Until next time, my friend, have a wonderful week ahead.